Today, we are again in Matthew chapter 28, in verses 18 through 20. As we all know, or many of you may know, some of you may be new to this uh, text, but this is a very familiar text in, in church, in, in Christian life, and we've entitled this The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it reads such as this. It says, Then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Those that are maturing in their faith are serving God in others, the maturing disciple. They're sharing Christ. They're sharing Christ. Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, the maturing believer will be sharing the gospel. This isn't just for some graduated group of, of believers sharing the gospel. This is for anyone who's called upon the name of Christ. You know, I've, I've mentioned about athletics and sports, and if, you're, if you've got pride of your home team, of whatever team you root for, you're going to be talking about them, and you ain't even played on their team. May not even went to their school. But boy, you would think if somebody said something bad about them, you'd think they stepped on your toe or shot your dog. If somebody says something about Jesus, you ain't got much of a response about it. Guys, we, we have got to be passionate about Jesus. We got to be sharing him and exercising our faith is another one. We exercise faith by sharing the gospel. If we don't believe or have faith that Christ can save, we will not share the gospel because deep down you really don't know of your own salvation. If you will work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you will be exercising your faith. And the way you do that is by getting out there and putting it to work. Every Monday, Tuesday and Thursday morning, unless something crazy happens, I'm going to be at the gym in the morning. Mr. and Miss Short's going to be there every single morning, Monday through Friday, unless something else is happening or going on. But why do we go there? Because we're exercising something. We're exercising muscles. And if you don't exercise them, they get weak. It's their faith. We've got to exercise our faith. And if you don't exercise it, it's going to get weak. It's going to get weak. And it's going to get, I think about my grandmother that at one time, she, she got to where she just couldn't get around very well. And she would go and she'd just go from the bedroom to her chair and then maybe to the kitchen to get her food and then back to the chair and then back to bed. And that was her routine primarily for the day. And her muscles got very weak. She had to go to physical therapy so she could get strong again. Guys, that's what happens to our faith. We go from our house and we go to church and then we go back home or we go to the grocery store and we come back home. And nowhere in there are we exercising our faith. We're not sharing the gospel. We're not trying to see, is there something more I can do for the Lord outside or inside the walls of the church? We're not exercising our faith. And we wonder, why am I weak? Why can't I share the gospel? Why am I scared? After I hurt my back back in May and June, it took me a while to get, get the courage back up to start lifting furniture again when I'd go help uh, with the company there and lift furniture. It took me a while. I was scared. In 2019, when, I both, when both bones in this arm got snapped in half out there on the lake, it took me about six months before I got back in the gym because I was scared to death to lift weights. And even now, I'll, I'll think about it. 
and I'll feel it, and I'll be like, oh, I need to, I need to, need to back off a little bit. Get a little scared because I got to exercise. You got to exercise it to get it strong again. We got to have strong faith. We got to exercise our faith. We need to be seeking God. We build relationships. Moment after moment in Scripture, we find Jesus meeting new people, restoring them, touching them, healing them, and building relationships with them. Consider the account of the disciples going to prepare for the upper room. They go down. Jesus very likely had a relationship with the owner. We don't know where Jesus made this relationship with them, but he said, go on down there. He says, when you go in there, say the master's in need of it. I think he also did that with a donkey as well. He, he did that at two different places. I believe because Jesus made relationships with people. We've got to be making relationships with people. We just can't be hermits and, and, and be clammed up inside of our homes. We've got to be outside. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know who lives on your right and your left, your front and your back? Not just for security reasons, I mean for, for salvation reasons. Do you know them? We, we've got to build relationships. And then lastly, in, in this portion, is unashamed. And we see Peter in Acts 2 preaching after being reinstated by the Lord. We find Paul preaching at Mars Hill, pointing out the statue to the unknown God. And Paul drawing upon that to reveal Christ. We see Philip running up to the eunuch to explain the word. We find Barnabas and others accompanying Paul in the preaching of the word and the planting of churches. We see them, they are unashamed. For I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We need to be unashamed of what we believe, unashamed of how we've been changed. We need to go in the power of God. And I'm not preaching last week's sermon again, but that's what we go in. And to make disciples, we have to know the most successful method. Jesus spoke to crowds, but his most influential and purposeful investment were in 12 and then ultimately in 3. The most successful method is through personal small groups of 3 to 5 people growing in grace and faith and in spirit and truth through the Word of God. Now listen, you can grow and we should be growing through our time in Sunday school. We should be. We should be. But if you really want to move from just understanding, because Sunday school is really much about an understanding of Scripture and building a relationship with other people, okay? But there's not really a lot of discipleship going on. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of accountability. Not, there's not a lot of that going on. Because people are scared to speak in groups of 8, 10, 12, 15, 20 folks. They're scared to open up. But if you'll get into a group that meets, and, and you meet in a in a and hear me out, I don't think the church is threatening at all. But some people may use this language in a non-threatening type environment. You go out to eat somewhere together. Or you meet in one another's homes or something like that. You've got two or three or four folks and you meet and you, you have a meal together and you have a passage of Scripture and you're walking through a book of the Bible or you say, Brother Blake, I'd like to have a study or something that we can go, to, go through together. And you say, we want to get together and meet. That's when you're really going to find out how to become a disciple. Jesus sat down with those guys and he taught them. You know, they didn't understand a lot of things and he would, he would sit down with them and talk. They'd say, explain this to me. Well, there in the moment, a lot of times you see in the scripture, he didn't immediately go into explanation. And most of the time it was in the next chapter. Now, we know chapter and verse is not uh, inerrant, infallible, and all that kind of stuff. But it's helpful for us to understand a timetable. But we know later on, Jesus would come back to it and say, well, let me explain to you what I meant over here. Do we have time for that a lot of times in Sunday school? Rarely. If that's the case, you guys get really bored 
with Sunday school because we would be in one book of the Bible probably for an entire year or more. The most successful way of building a disciple is one-on-one or one-on-two or three. And we see that with Peter, James, and John when Jesus would talk to them. It was Jesus and the three, and then it was Jesus and the 12, and then Jesus and Jesus in the 72, and then the Jesus with everybody. And we need to be investing in other people. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're confident in your faith, you've been saved, redeemed, you've been studying the word, and you're growing, hey, look, grab somebody else. Let's study together. And then they say, well, you know, somebody else may say, well, I want to study too. We grab them too and jump into it. Jesus made several calls to discipleship. And from several of the resources that I've read this week, some from Billy Hanks Jr., Robert Coleman, David Platt, and Mark Ganey, we see primarily four disciple-making invitations of Jesus. In Matthew 4.19, we find the first invitation of come follow me. Jesus told the disciples, come follow me and I will make you uh, fishers of men. Jesus didn't say come listen to me alone. Observe me. See my life. See my action. And let me explain to you why I do it afterwards. You're asking me these questions. Let's do that. Second invitation was, be with me. Mark 3, 13 through 14, it is recorded that Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Be with me is that second invitation. The third invitation is, come and see. From John 1, 39, Jesus told them, come and see. Come and see. And then lastly is abide in me. From John 15, 5, you know this is a very familiar text. Jesus speaks to the disciples and those around in this way. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So those four invitations are come follow me, be with me, come and see, and abide in me. And I would recommend us using those, just as Jesus did. We want people to come and see. We want them to be with us. We want them to be a part of us, and we want them to abide in Christ just as we are. And the best method of disciple-making is not preaching. We cannot crutch on the sermon of the pastor alone as our only avenue of discipleship. Sunday school cannot be the only avenue of discipleship. Billy Hanks Jr. wrote, Teaching requires the transmission of ideas and concepts. Training requires the transmission of learned skills. How many of you, you've probably been at, how many of you have been at your job for 10 plus years? How many of you? Okay. How many of you, you might be retired. How many of you served at a job for 10 plus years? How about that? All right. Yeah, that's more hands. All right. Well, see, when someone new comes into that environment, you've got to train them, right? You don't just give them the manual because a lot of times things have changed even since the manual's been written. Now, listen, I'm not telling you things have changed since the Bible's been written. So all analogies fall apart at some point, okay? All analogies fall apart at some point. But most of the time, we don't just hand them the, the handbook because if that's what you're doing, you're setting them up to fail. I want to tell you how I learned one time. I don't want to get too far off the topic because this is not in my notes. I worked at Walmart for seven years of my life. Well, one day, a fellow by the name of Ken Klug comes up to me, and Ken says, Blake, you're throwing a kink into all my plans. I said, what you talking about, Ken? He said, I want you to work inside in electronics. I said, okay. I said, well, what's the kink? Why, why, can't, I, why can't I come inside? He said, you're off every Sunday. I said, yes, sir, and I don't plan for that to change. I said, I'm, I've got seniority in the parking lot. 
Woo! Seniority in the parking lot. I said, I, I, I want to keep my Sundays off. And he said, well, I, I can work with that. He said, what do you need me to do? I said, well, I'll tell you this. I said, I'll either work a first shift on Sunday or a second shift on Sunday, but I am not missing church completely. I got to be able to go to one or two services. He said, all right, that's fine. He said, I'll get that done. I said, all right. And, of course, my best friend worked in electronics, too, so that helped a lot. So I went in to work with him. Well, let me, when I went in, he said, Blake, have you ever built a stack base? So he says, do you know how to build a stack base? I said, well, that seems like common sense to me. But he says, let me show you. So he goes up and he shows me how. He says, find out which end is the weighted end of the product, which end is heaviest, and set it to the inside of the stack base, not the outside. I said, okay. You know, took me a half second to figure out why. Because if you put the heavy side out, if you get them too tall, they'll tip over and fall on a customer. But he showed me how. He discipled me in how to work in the department. Other managers, they'll just throw you wherever. You know, you're in this department. Well, you know, you put me in fabrics. How do I measure fabric? I don't know. Learn for yourself. Which I did have to learn how to cut fabric too. You learn, you learn how to be a jack of all trades if you work at Walmart because, you know, it's not unionized. We learn how to do everything in there. Learn how to be discipled by those guys. And you've got to train folks how to do it. Training requires the transmission to learn skills. And just as the scripture tells us we should train up a child in the way they should go and in the end they will not depart from it, we should train up disciples in the way they should go, and in the end, they will not depart from it. Our children should be the first line of discipleship in our homes. There's so many times we leave it up to the church to convert them and the church to keep them while mom and daddy do no discipleship at home. And then we wonder, well, why did my kid fall away from Jesus? Why is my kid not involved in church? Why are they not doing this? Well, did, did you do anything at home to disciple the kid? Did you, did, you, did you take out the Bible at all and sit down? Did you take them out to serve? Did you serve your neighbor? Did you do anything that revealed that Christ had changed your heart toward other people than other than just living in the blessings and the glories that God's given you? Yeah, there's a reason why our kids fall away from the faith. Because we think the church is the, is the hub of conversion and it should be discipleship and then you pay somebody to do it when God has called you to it because he's given you the ability to have children. Jesus didn't say to me as your pastor to go forth and multiply. He told us to go forth and multiply it through the family unit. Our first line of discipleship for the husband is the wife for the husband and the wife are the kids. We want disciples to emulate Christ. We want them to emulate Christ, but as we will notice later, we will unfortunately, they will unfortunately pick up some of our tendencies too if we are discipling relationally. So what does that mean? That means we need to be continually working on us being a disciple ourselves, correct? Because we don't want to give them flawed discipleship. We want to give them Christ's discipleship. There was a, a young couple Okay, there was a very young couple that had uh, just been saved and they had started a Bible study group in their home. Okay, and, and they, they were meeting for about four months, once a week, and a co-worker called up the fella, his name was Joe, called him up. And he said, me and my wife have had a big argument. She, she says she's leaving. Can you please come over and help us out? So Joe, being a young Christian, but yet they were having a time of Bible study with a couple other couples in their home, he told the families that were there, he said, I've got to go. And they said, well, just have a prayer meeting and we'll pray for it while you're gone. 
So he snatches up his Bible and he takes off. And he goes over to his co-worker's house. And he, he sits down and talks with them. And eventually he leads them to Christ that night. Well, the pastor had heard about this, but he had a little while before he had an update. Well, he, about three weeks later, he gets an update. And he finds out about the, the couple coming to Christ. And now Joe is spending time discipling them, having a Bible study with them. And that other group has already gone on to have another Bible study. That's exactly how that should work. We've got to be available. If we have friends or family members or coworkers that are struggling and they're going through a hardship, we should have answers, not of our opinion, but we should have answers from the Word of God. Because our opinion is flawed because it's based upon our own life experiences. Our opinion is. But the Word of God is based upon the life and the Word of God the Father being inspired. So we take this. Because what's the worst thing in the world for a, for a married couple that's going through hardship? Now listen, don't, don't, don't get angry with me if I say this and, and you've gotten remarried. But if you've gone through a divorce, do you want, do you want that counseling coming from, from that person for someone who's on the verge of divorce? Probably not. You want somebody that's got, that is being a disciple and is growing in their faith that will come over and speak to you the word of God because you know what's going to happen? I'm going to have my opinion. I'm going to have my opinion. If I've been hurt in a previous relationship, well, you need to leave them anyway. Some people might say that if they're not a growing disciple. They're no good for you. They've done terrible things to you. You know, whatever. Sometimes that's the truth. Sometimes there's no reconciliation in a relationship such as that. So don't hear me saying that, okay? But listen, we got to come to them with the Word of God because if I've been hurt from a previous relationship, I may bring that to you and that might be detrimental. And it really wasn't as bad. It might not have been as bad as, we, as, as, as my relationship was. And now I'm bringing my perspective. Bring the Word of God and bring God's perspective on it. You hear me? I know you're, some of y'all are like, gasp, I can't believe he's saying this. But it's the truth. Because my opinion... Although I've got perspectives and I've dealt with things and all that, it's not near as vital to your situation or your life as God's Word is. So if I counsel, I need to counsel first from the Word of God. And then if you want my opinion, I'll say, well, listen, this comes with a caveat. I've dealt with stuff similar or different or whatever maybe, or I've never dealt with it, you know? It took me years to figure out how to minister to kids that are in homes where, where, where mom's married to, to the stepdad and dad's married to the stepmom. I didn't understand all that for a long time because I didn't grow up in that situation. So it took me a while for my mind and my heart to be compassionate toward that. You know, to say, well, this young man, I know he's going to be here this week, but next week he's not going to be here. He's not just laying out. You know, we've got to come with the Word of God, with the compassion and the grace of God, instead of saying, well, my opinion is, is the foundation. My perspective and my life experience is the foundation of all of what you're dealing with. No, it's not. No, it's not. The Word of God is what we come back to. We build up from the Word of God, not from my experience or anybody else's experience. We build up from the Word of God so that it's a sure foundation. To make disciples, we've got to be available. Being available means that we're compelled by the love of Christ. And it's from the compulsion of Christ's love that we make ourselves available for the work of a disciple-making disciple. And for what Christ has done for us, we should be compelled to do for others. We invest in them through time, love, the word, prayer, and seeing them succeed in their growth in faith and discipleship. 
Gene War gave three reasons for his desire to disciple. His three reasons were the brevity of life, the sense of stewardship, and having a life that counts for something worthwhile. In the brevity of life, he wrote, Life is short, but eternity is forever. David wrote in the Psalms, Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I have showed your strength to this generation and your power to everyone that is to come. So I wrote, life is like a vapor. What do we need to do? We need to redeem the steam. The brevity of life. Life is short, but eternity is forever. His second reason was a sense of stewardship. War wrote, we refer to life as my life. And it is precious. In Job 2.4, Satan says, all that a man has will he give for his life. But why do we call it my life? I have a responsibility for the life that God has given me. I didn't manufacture it. I don't sustain it. It is something which God has loaned me for a short time while here on earth. And I believe I have a responsibility to invest it where it will count most. The psalmist says, Let everyone bless God and sing his praises, for he holds our lives in his hands, and he holds our feet to the path. We need to have a sense of stewardship about our life. If we want to make the most of our lives, we think about when people tithe, when people tithe and give. Whenever we purchase anything at this church, whenever we invest in a ministry in this church, whenever we want to see a program go forth in this church, we've got to be good stewards of the money and not be wasteful spenders. Listen, we are wasteful spenders of spiritual resources all the time because we don't disciple. We don't see people as valuable. And that's very obvious in our culture today. And I'm not getting too far off topic on that one. But we've got to see people as valuable investments. People are valuable. We need to invest our lives in them, in one another. And a life that counts for something worthwhile is that third one. War wrote, and I believe we can all agree for ourselves, that we want to live and pass on abundant life in Christ to many, many others. We can do it through a ministry of spiritual multiplication, reproducing ourselves many times over in a disciple-making ministry. And a missional disciple's availability often means living sacrificially. It means living sacrificially in our quantity of time, sacrificial in our lack of recognition, sacrificial in your convenience, in our convenience, sacrificial in our hurt. We're going to get hurt. If you're really trying to make disciples, you're going to get hurt from time to time. Sacrificial in your vulnerability to exposure. Sacrificial in your tunneling while others are climbing. Sometimes you're digging down to get them while they're climbing over your back to get out. That's how it works sometimes in disciple making. They're at a low point. You're digging down to get them out. And they're climbing up to get out. And they may be stepping on your shoulder and on your back and everything else to try to get out of that hole while you're going down there to get them out. Sometimes that happens in disciple making. Sacrificial in that your weaknesses are seen, reproduced. If you're truly discipling people, you're going to see a lot of you in them. And sometimes that's difficult. In the missional disciple's life, we must first be a disciple. We must use the most successful method, which is Jesus' method. And we must be available at any sacrifice. Disciples understand the importance of not leaving the new believer alone to tread the difficult waters of newfound faith. A lot of times people come to faith, we baptize them, we give them a seat to sit in, we give them a Sunday school to attend, and we don't do nothing else with them. 
That is, that is a travesty. That is, that's a tragedy and a travesty of the work of a true disciple. Call them up. Take them out to eat. Invest in them. Pour the word of God into them. Find out who they are. Find out what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. Not to hold it against them, but so that you may lift it up within them. And lift it up before the Lord. Disciples will be growing as they assist others in growing. And will be transparent about their struggles in their own faith journey. We as missional disciples must be available for the Lord to use us at any time given moment.